Well, hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, one of the very, very few podcasts in English entirely dedicated to the greatest competition in club football in South America. Mr. Oliver Wilson, last time we spoke, it was the it was late March, I believe, and the pandemic was just kicking off. I'm feeling much more optimistic now. Football's back. It's the beginning of the end of the global pandemic. The Copa Libertadores is reaching the knockout phase. The good times are rolling again. Did you realise that it's like <laughs> 12 months ago almost to the day that the Libertadores final took place last year? 23rd, yeah. yeah. 23rd of November 2019. So since uh, since Gabby Gold popped up and uh, lifted the title for Flamengo, isn't it a crazy final. Isn't it weird to be at the round of 16 now? It's It, it suddenly mm. hit me last uh, two weeks ago when the Copper Sud final obviously uh, was 12 months old from last year. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, we are only just getting into like the meaty bit of the competition. And this time last year, this was over, pretty much. It was all over and done yeah. with. It's kind of <laughs> surreal. I mean, obviously, it's been a pretty surreal 2020. But I, I, I've got to say I'm pretty impressed by the fact that we're at this point. You know, there was definitely a point where it was like, wow, is the Libertadores even going to happen in 2019? Could they just call it? And, you know, they've done pretty well to squeeze through to this point. Then we've got four weeks now of the round of 16, the quarterfinals, and then the semis and the final in January. So to, to somehow organise this competition, and it is harder in South America to get, it's way harder to get the Libertadores going than it is the Champions League, for example, Ollie. Yeah. Just because of the, the geographical distances, the social economic climate, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm massively impressed that we're at this stage. I think it's, there's, there's eight Really interesting clashes and yeah, wow, time flies, my friend. Yeah, it's, a year. it's it's just a bit bonkers. It's great though to uh, to look at the round of sixteen. Um, I will admit that I have not been able to watch as much of the Copa Libertadores as I would like. It's been limited slightly thanks to no broadcaster picking it up in the UK, so uh, limited to a lot of YouTube following of the highlights and and whatnot. So I apologise if I'm not as in depth as I should have been this week in my usual I always like to get into the tactics way too much I think I get I get really dragged into that <laughs> and uh, obviously unable to make aside from a few you know glaring <laughs> overviews no, there's, I, I think there's some great chat in this pond Ollie and there's also a rather bizarre comparison compare and contrast situation with Jeff Bezos and Ecuadorian outfit Delphine so look out for that and enjoy the pod <laughs> Pulling it back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Aranga pulls the trigger and delivers on Binacional's Libertadores debut. They lead against Sao Paulo. A wrestling club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one. On the Copa Libertadores group stage. I just wanted to ask you, Ollie, when you when you first looked at the draw for the last 16, and as you mentioned, it's not like we've seen every single game, but just on like a face level, when you looked at the draw, what what was your immediate thoughts? Because clearly, well, for me, like one half of the the, the top half of the draw is so loaded. I just thought that creates an incredible like a possibility for the second half of the draw. You look at the top half of the draw and we'll talk about the individual games 
uh, in that round of last 16 shortly. But the Racing Flamengo tie into Boca, like those are two huge games. I feel like the top half of the draw is so loaded, whereas in the second half, if you're Palmeiras or River, you really fancy yourself to get to the final. Um, yeah, I think in both draws, there are like both halves. Mm. There are two difficult halves of those halves, if you get what I mean. Like, uh, like you look at Inter, Boca, Racing and Flamengo on one side. That's a tough route for those four teams. On the other side, IDV. That's how we're calling them now, IDV, because mm-hmm. I'm basically one of the tribe. Sure. Uh, Nacional. Atletico Paranaense and River. I still think that is quite a difficult route. I I don't think it's as difficult, perhaps, as uh, as Boca have got on the other side of the draw for the Boca River comparison, I guess, because River will be the favourites in that section. But I do still think it's it's quite difficult, um, particularly as you you have to deal with IDV and Atletico Paranaense. You know, the Brazilian clubs can still pull stuff out of the bag whenever they need to. The clubs that I think that will be in the kind of driving seat elsewhere. I don't know, Liga de Quito or Gremio, that's a bit of a coin flip, but they should get through their, their round and everything. But Palmeiras have got to be looking at this draw and just licking their lips. Uh, like, uh, it's a great one for the Green Giant. Uh, absolutely. Palmeiras, have, they really should. They should be looking at the semi-finals, absolute minimum from this point. And I would say Gremio may be at the top of the draw as well. Just to dive in then, Oli, I mean, I think the, the best, in my opinion, the best round, the best tie of the round is Inter Boca. Agreed? Or do you like the Racing Flamengo? Um, yeah, Inter, Inter Boca's there, except I'm not buying into Inter as much as I did last year. They, they're they still making, from what I've seen mm. um, early on in the tournament and, and through the highlights, they've still got the same errors of not playing with enough pace on the field and not playing with enough width. Where So I'm not as hyped on them. If this was last year, I'd have said, yeah, without a doubt. But I do think the uh, the Flamengo tie um, is, is a little more, sorry, the River tie is a little more interesting in terms of the draw. I think there's so many variables, obviously, when you take away, like, I mean, this is such a unique and bizarre year of 2020. And the fact that there won't be any fans and like, there's just so many, um, there's so many additional factors that could change things. And it perhaps makes it one of the most open last 16 in years. But as for Inter, I mean, you know, they've won it twice in recent history, 2006, 2010. I know the, the title race in Brazil is super tight at the moment, and I think they could go top of the table tonight. We're recording this on Sunday evening, depending on a few different results. Mm-hmm. Um, they only actually won, as you said, like they weren't that impressive in the groups. They won two of their six games, qualified with eight points, which isn't great. Um, but they're in, you know, they could they could do it and against the Boca side that they haven't won it since 2007. Boca topped their group. It was pretty comfortable for them to go through. Only conceded one goal in six games. Um, Carlos Tevez still banging in the goals. I know when we left Argentina, Oli, in very early, uh, when was it? Sort of early mid-March. And Carlos Tevez, Carlos Tevez had scored that goal for Boca to give them the Argentine league title. And there was that sense of like, wow, what a great kind of last moment maybe for Tevez in a Boca shirt. But he's in mm. good form. Boca are one of the favourites to win it. You know, you never know. He might still have a big goal in him in the Libertadores this year. But Eduardo Salvio, I don't know if you've seen flashes and seen his goals. He scored five goals in the group stages. Um, like he's their player. He's their he's their slice of European quality. I think that if if uh, if Boccarato go on and lift the trophy this year, then then and then he's got to keep delivering in the knockout phases. I'm just disappointed you brought up that Tevez moment because you know mm. that still pulls on the heartstrings a little bit, seeing as we were meant to be at that game. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, Salvio, uh, again, from the highlights that I've been able to watch, has, as you say, been 
the focal point or the, the the brightest spark, if you will, of their attack. For this Boca side, it's exactly what I thought it would be when we did the group previews. Yeah. It's it's still so brilliant defensively. They didn't look tested at all. You know, conceding one goal, as you say, yeah. that was on the road against Caracas uh, in the opening group game. As soon as they got that out of the way, they, they've looked immaculate defensively um, and have looked good, always looked good uh, last year defensively. But they've increased just that offensive quality a little bit more. Um, Salvio coming through, Tevez being the uh, the main playmaker in in the side, at least being a Trecoarista. Is that how we'd, we'd say it? I'm going to leave you oh, out right. in the open air with that one, Oli. Oh, you're going <laughs> to hang me on the ledge there. That's brutal. Um, <laughs> I think that's how it's said in Spain. Um, but like Soldano uh, puts in a shift when he plays up front with them. They've got plenty of depth, I think, still in that front line as well. They've got players uh, that can come in and, and try and make an impact. So Zarate's featured for them a couple of times in the Libertadores this year. And yeah, I'm just hoping for it's, a bit of it's a, a more... It's, it's a more interesting Boca side to watch that, from the highlights that you see. And that's key because we talked a lot about it in 2019, Ollie, about how, you know, when you when you go from going outside to inside the continent, you have this romantic notion of Boca Juniors, don't you? And and perhaps that style of football was well, it was quite boring in 2019 to watch. So I'm hoping to see something quite exciting from them in the last 16. And of course the kind of potential quarterfinal clash that will capture everyone's imagination is the winner of Inter Boca against the winner of Racing and uh, Racing and Flamengo. Now, Flamengo, I mean, they had an absolutely crazy 2019, won pretty much everything in sight, comfortably the, the best squads on the continent. I think they still do have the best squad on the continent. Uh, mm. Of course, they're the defending champions after winning that crazy final against uh, River. Uh, but there's been a global pandemic George Jesus left. His replacement has since been replaced by legendary goalkeeper Rogerio Senni. And we're just of the age, I think, Ollie. We just about remember him from our childhood football memories. Is that fair? Like, I remember being... I was just getting into football and he was definitely of the names that were out of South America. He was a he was someone that you knew of as a European football fan. Is that fair? Um, or not? Maybe you probably more than I. I think he's still kind of, you know, if I think of Brazilian goalkeepers when I was growing up, I mean, the dominant one is still Tafarel from, you know, World Cup I thought you were going to say Shiliver. No, he was Paraguayan. Yeah, but like from South America. Oh, from South I mean, America. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But in terms of Brazilian keepers, it's definitely Tafarel. And okay. Obviously stands in the mind for the penalty shootout victory in the in world cup 94 and then after that because i was a milan fan then it was dida really yeah, kind of okay. that's the transition for me so uh so rogero seni didn't quite pick up maybe you were playing football manager to a greater depth <laughs> than i was at that point dave i don't know should have picked but, up a few more copies of world soccer back in the day uh Mr. Wilson, yeah, I mean, well, Tim Vickery was still plugging away and basically writing that whole magazine at that point. So, uh, yeah, I probably should have uh, given more of a glance was, yeah, to it. Quill and Partridge back then, probably in the in the <laughs> early 90s. But, um, so he's the, he's the boss now of Flamengo. Um, Bruno Enrique was injured for, the, for Flamengo's first couple of group games uh, this year. Wilson, but he's since come and scored four goals in those remaining group games to see them through to the last 16. I mean, we spoke about him at such great length last year because he was... Uh, well, he was the best player of the tournament, wasn't he? Five goals, five assists. Uh, yeah. He helped Flamengo win the title. So you feel like he's going to be crucial again. But I don't know. Anybody it... that, yeah, go anyone that looks at this Flamengo side will look, obviously see from the group games they had that loss on the road to Independiente del Valle. Uh, and it's very easy to look at that and kind of get excited both about Independiente del Valle 
and to think, oh, Flamengo, you know, without Jorge Jesus, this, this is a different kettle of fish, maybe. And, and if you haven't looked into team sheets and the kind of COVID crisis that hit them, COVID-19 problems that they had, was by far the kind of main reason why Flamengo were torn apart by Independiente del Valle that evening. And the quality in that squad is still pretty much there, which is mm. obviously a, a worry for anybody that wants to try and take on Flamengo at their own game and not try and perhaps play a sit-off and hit them on the break sort of style. And that blip is a blip that needs to be taken off the radar and shouldn't even come on. This is, from what I've seen so far, without a doubt, still the favourites and the squad with the most quality in the uh, in the whole tournament, I think. And also, I texted you at about seven o'clock this morning, Ollie, saying Flamengo five to one to win the Libertadores. That's too big, surely. <laughs> How much have you put on and since then? <laughs> nothing, but I mean, that's too big, isn't it? A five to one saying if the tournament was played five times from this position, they'd only win it once, and I think they'd win it more than that because they are still the best squad on the continent. I know it's been a super bumpy year for them, but I just still still think as long as Bruno Henrique's fit, as long as Gabby Goal, who has been in and out a bit through various reasons, but um. Yeah, if those two are still fit, I still think they're red-hot favourites to win it. They're playing a Racing side then who won five out of six in Group F to qualify. In really poor form domestically in Argentina, lost their last four. I mean, you've got to back Flamengo, but you never know if there's a time to face Flamengo. It's certainly better facing them in 2020 than it is in 2019. Um, 100% agree. I also think that Racing, though, however good their form kind of looks from the group stage, it was a fairly simple group. I mean, Estudiantes de Merida are already out of the Comibol Sudamericana um, after finishing third in that group. Uh, Nacional have gone through, uh, obviously, and Alianza Lima are kind of a woeful side to watch on the continental stage. They were last year. They still remain to be that this year. So if Racing Club hadn't got out of that group, there probably would have been you know, people in Buenos Aires in of, of a blue and white persuasion spitting fire. Uh, maybe pulling on a red shirt of Independiente and walking down the road and going into a different ground, to be honest. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think if they hadn't got out of the group in impressive form, it would have been very disappointing indeed. It's very difficult. I mean, it's so difficult because we're so blinkered by the quality of Flamengo to mm. see a way. I, 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 I don't know. With Flamengo, are the odds different because like Brazil's got more of a... I don't want to keep going back to things like COVID, but because there's more of a perhaps a COVID problem and so there's a likelihood for more absences as the tournament goes on or... An inability to put a squad out. I don't. I don't really know. I, th- I think that defeat against Independiente del Valle, and I know they kind of got their revenge uh, in the return game in the groups. But we will talk about Independiente del Valle very shortly. But that five Flamengo lost five nil against Independiente del Valle, and I think that just. I think that was just a gigantic result across the continent, pandemic or no pandemic, because it's just a crazy result, and to see the defending champions beaten like that, perhaps you know, just opened up so many questions about their vulnerability and, and now the lack of consistency with Jorge Jesus leaving and then going through a couple of managers after that. So I guess that's reflected in the odds. But, um, you know, you'd be surprised if it's not a Boca Flamengo quarterfinal, but who knows? And I think, to be honest, that could be the game that has, if it ends up being that quarterfinal, that could be the game that almost potentially decides the tournament. <laughs> that's... that's <laughs> I rate that highly. Those are the two two of the biggest favourites to to win the whole thing outright. Sure, they are. Yeah, and either one of those will be looking at this side of the draw and thinking we at least have to we have to make the final. And I can't. Yeah. Aside from River, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously that's like a big and bold prediction, but that could be a tournament decider that quarter final at that point. And there's still a lot of football to play. 
Yeah, of course, but it's a big and bold prediction, but it's the kind of prediction if it comes off, Ollie, you'll be reaping the rewards because <laughs> you clip this up, be like, this is what I said on November 22nd, you know, so, so it could, uh, could reap dividends. We will see. The, the next match, that, um, the next tie that I thought was probably like the third most interesting out of them uh, is the Atletico Paranaense against River Plate contest. I mean, for River, obviously they lost in the final in 2019 and then threw away the Argentine league title early on in 2020. So that followed five years of just glory and success and Gachado and dominating domestically and success uh, on the continent. So, you know, it was kind of a weird end to to last year, beginning of of this year for them. I think they're going to like the draw though. Like I know Independiente del Valle potentially lie away in the the quarterfinals, but if you'd have offered Gachado, Atletico Paranense and then Independiente del Valle, I, I think that's... It's a pretty good draw for River. Yeah, it's um, it's a nice draw. Uh, Paranaense have lost Bruno Guimaraes as well at the start of 2020. So it's very nice that arguably the, the strongest player from that Atletico Paranaense side of last year and a Atletico Paranaense side that hasn't lived up to perhaps the hype of last year and hasn't seemingly been improved upon as much, that, that squad, compared to the parts that they've lost, um, has made it through and River have drawn them in this round. It's a big name. Um, but it wouldn't necessarily be a big coup for River to get through. I think Gashada will look at this. Plus the level of play that River have been able to produce, not just in terms of winning games, but winning games well, playing mm. high calibre level of football in terms of the quality, the, the possession style passing. It's sometimes a little slow, but when it when it works, it looks really attractive around the yeah, middle does. part and the, the latter part of the field. And, and Gashada will, I think, probably look at Atletico Paranaense and see plenty of weaknesses there. And they will, and I th- they will expect to get in. I think it has to be mentioned as well, Ollie, that this is a, a River Plate side that have essentially lost three of their best players in the last twelve months. They lost Palacios. I know that was a while ago. Then Juan Fernando Quintero, who was injured for a lot of twenty nineteen, but clearly talent. And then lost uh, Lucas Martinez Cuarto, who went to somewhere in Italy Fiorentina. to get to Fiorentina. Yeah, went to Fiorentina for kind of decent money. So I mean, those are three of their best players that haven't been replaced. Uh, Skoko as well. I know he's getting on a little bit, but he had that touch of class. Skoko, good squad player. Um, you know, so, so Gashada's really had a big heart, a big chunk of um, his team taken away. Uh, on a positive side for them, Julian Alvarez has scored five goals in the group stages. The 20-year-old and Joel Richards assures me, Mr. Wilson, that uh, Alvarez is absolutely the real deal. And just from seeing him, seeing clips of him and the highlights of him, some of his finishing in the group stages was really, really good. And I think, you know, they've always got Suarez, Borre, Nico de la Cruz, now Alvarez. So they're always going to be a threat. With Gachado, they got that consistency. You still wouldn't back against them, even though it's a weaker Riverside, certainly on paper in 2020 than it was in 2019. Well, and... You know, the the depth is, that you just mentioned there as well shows the firepower. That, Lucas Prato is still there. He was odds yeah. on to be out the door well and truly gone at the end of their last league campaign. So uh, they've still got experience and quality. And I think Gachado's got a really good way of being able to use the likes of, you know, Nico de la Cruz and the youngsters and combine it with the experience of the, the I guess, the stalwarts of this side, the Fernandezes, the Pratos, the Suarezes. And, and he's got a wonderful balance across the majority of the starting 11s. You, you don't look at the kind of sides that have gone out in the Libertadores this year for River in the group stage and thought, oh, that's a bit inexperienced in key areas or mm. oh, that's going to be a bit leggy later on. 
And the style of football doesn't play into stretching it so much that the old guys look like they're feeling their legs kind of these days as well. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't want to get... It's it's so easy to look at what's happening in the group stage and go Flamenco River again. Like Flamengo and River mm. are the two sides, sure. etc. But at the same time, when you look at the balance of squads and particularly in Gachado, his comfortability in that job and his ability to be a rallier of men. And I know this is almost turning, as always, into a bit of a Gachado love fest. But it, How could it not? <laughs> the hair as well, as we uh, we touched on a week ago or so. The long hair look. You're, you're a fan of his lockdown locks. Caliente, yeah. <laughs> I think he... We, well, yeah, we don't want to go too far down the Marcelo Gachado rabbit hole, Ollie. We've, we've praised him so much on this pod before. And, you know, in 2019, there was so many rumours about him leaving. 2020, obviously, because of the pandemic and the fact that Libertadores finishes the finals in late January this year, semi-finals early January. Mm. So, you know, he's going to stay for that, assuming that River go deep into the tournament. Uh, but 2021, that's the year he leaves, right? Yeah. I mean, I was disapp- I mean, disappointed he wasn't linked with the Wednesday job last week. Uh, that would have been that would have been nice, but yeah, I do. Look, if he wins, I don't know. But again, that's what we kept saying. Yeah, no, if he wins uh, it as well, is there never is there still like the temptation to <laughs> let's ride this out for one more year? <laughs> let's just let's just keep this train going until it completely falls off the tracks. It may be like that, and I wouldn't look. You know, NTA, I wouldn't put it past it <laughs> it happening at all. You know, I I think uh, I think there comes a point. Not to get too philosophical about this, philosophical about this, Ollie, but we were talking just pre-pod about uh, just the resistance in life to change, weren't we? Mm. And how you get, and everyone's guilty of it, how no matter how well or bad life's going, you just get comfortable in a, a situation and you don't want it to end. We were just talking about the pandemic and certain human psychology regarding that. Because obviously our off-pod uh, conversations are that that highbrow. <laughs> but uh, but I do think that Gachado, no matter what happens, you know, even if Atletico Panamense beat them 10-0 on aggregate, or he goes on and lifts the trophy at the Maracanã in late January, Gachado's got to leave because change is good, change is important. He can't stay at River forever. He's a River legend. What he's done there, no matter what happens now, is, is set in stone. He can always go back. He's a young man, early 40s. I think you go to Europe, you know, he might not get the Barcelona job, might not get the PSG job, but I just think he should go to Europe and, and test himself. Some, some um, big job will open up that will kind of suit his hunger and desire to show himself as a, as a manager in, in Europe by the start of next year. So it may mm-hmm. even take, you know, four months, depending on how the calendar works out with the, the finishing of the league or leaving perhaps River midway through a tournament, whichever one it is, um, there will be an opportunity at some point next summer for Gachado to to step away. Yeah. Do you give Atletico Paranense any chance? I mean, qualified from a really poor group uh, to get to the last 16. I know they've been in decent form in Brazil recently, but yeah, if you're River, you're going to be really disappointed not to to set up a quarterfinal clash with either IDV or Nacional. Yeah, no, I don't I don't see Paranense Atletico. Sorry, you can't call them Paranaense, they're Atletico. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I don't see them getting past River. Not at all. And what what about that uh, IDV Nacional game? Obviously, Independiente de Vira, a club you followed really closely in uh, 2019 early. I know you fell in love with them a little bit. You saw them win the, the Copa Sudamericana. Um, pretty weird. A weird 2020 for everyone, but a weird 2020 <laughs> for them, right? Like... Beaten in the Recopa by Flamengo, then 
absolutely thrashed Flamengo in the groups, then lost 4-0 in really bad form domestically. But they still got the the core of that squad, don't they? So, yeah, I mean... There were there, there are still some key elements that have departed that squad. This, there are a couple of reasons why I, I was really hot on Independiente Del Valle at the start of the year and their possibilities for the, um, for the Libertadores this year of how far they could go. However... Um, you know, Danny Nieto came and went very quickly with that side, but was mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, the the big loss was Dahomey, of course, who was such an influential figure last year. Uh, Angulo as well was decent. Uh, Cabeza off the bench was a, a useful player. Uh, there there are still a number of of key elements to that side in terms of the depth and the success they had last year that have departed. So. It's not quite the same IDV that you fell in love with, but it's still a side that are certainly enjoyable to watch. Uh, and I love Miguel Angel Ramirez as well as a manager. He's just a great guy to watch and he's setting them out to play the right kind of football. The one result that I look at and worry about is the result not against Flamengo. That's fine on the road, especially in Brazil. It's the result before that to Junior, who, to yeah. their credit, in the Common Ball Sudamericana have come out all guns blazing and perhaps haven't converted as many efforts as they should have done in their first uh, round of that competition, but looked in really good form to start the Comic Ball Sudamericana campaign. If you're anybody's looking at that, I would certainly look at them to perhaps go on and win it. For Independiente Del Valle to go there, go to Colombia and lose 4-1, that's a frustrating result. And particularly uh, a fairly embarrassing performance from what I've seen. Mm. It, it looked really disjointed. So... I would worry that they could maybe get picked off by the Uruguayans. But Nacional, I think Uruguayan football isn't quite as impressive in general as uh, perhaps some of the young talent coming out of Ecuador and then obviously Brazil and Argentina. So Independiente Del Valle, to me, probably have a better squad and a better style of football than the than the Uruguayans they're facing have. So I'd still probably edge them as favourites, but, but not by much. And, I mean, the fact that Independiente Del Valle finished second in their group and went kind of pot two for that round of 16. I mean, they'll be very pleased with the draw. Nacional, like we know the Uruguayan sides had an amazing history in this competition, but in the here and now, like they, they don't tend to fare pretty well, even though Nacional have won it three times. Mm. Um, and they topped their top group F, didn't they, to reach the last 16. So you'd still fancy IDV to go through. They don't, they don't score many goals either. And I think firepower-wise... IDV can go toe-to-toe with them and beat them quite comfortably. So if it comes down to, uh, you know, a shootout over the two legs, I would certainly back the Ecuadorians in that sense. Should we move on to Guarani against Gremio? Because I, I quite I know we sort of, this is a push this slightly down the pecking order, but I think this is a really interesting tie um, in, in the last 16. So it's kind of, as you look at it, the top of the top of the draw and the winner will face the winner of Liga de Quito against Santos. But maybe because Guarani... They were involved in the tournament from the first round of qualifying and they had that crazy result against Corinthians uh, where they put them out. And maybe they got a couple of players that we talked about, Oli, that little cult figure, you know, Rodney Redes, Bobadilla, like quite fun footballers, right? Yeah. The, so they, I don't know. They, they'll gain a lot of neutral support. The triple B, big bad Boba up front. <laughs> yeah. Love that. No, uh, genuinely, though, all jokes aside, such a useful unit of a player. Hold up play is really good. So he's able to be isolated and then allow other players to get forward and support the attack really well. That That's kind of his best asset, aside from obviously having a hell of a right boot as well that can get a fair bit of power behind his efforts. Um, I was surprised this was so high up on the running order, I have to say, because... Really? Yeah, I just think on paper, like, 
the the class and finesse of Gremio you would have thought would be enough. Now I'm not saying that Granny can't cause them problems, but I think I think there's a huge weight of expectation. There always is on the on the larger, grander sides anyway. But mm. you look at what Everton kind of dragged them through, kicking and screaming last year, and that will be the expectation that he and others, Lucas Silver and Coke and and Allison as well, can. And his supporting car should step up more this year and should be able to get... Ever- some... Everton sold to Benfica a couple of months ago. Oh, of course. Uh, Shit, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, no, because we we mentioned that. Um, we spoke about that a couple of days ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, as you say, he was the game changer, wasn't he? And so he's got, like, they've got other good players in the squad. And as you, you know, it's quite a crazy stat that 2017 they won it and then 2018 and 2019 they reached the semifinals, right? Mm. So they've reached the semi-finals are better for the last three years under the same boss. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Everton was a huge part of what they were about, I think. So, But I think they've, they've got, um, let's just look at it, they've won eight on the spin in Brazil across League and Cup. So they come into this in like really good form. And I don't know, Guarani, maybe I've got too much of a soft spot for the Molly. That's why I sort of pushed up, I've uh, increased their fortunes. But, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think they could cause an upset. I think they've found... Goal scorers outside of the kind of the midfield attacking midfield players as well, though Gremio. When like, Pepe scored seven in sixteen domestically, yeah, yeah. and Diego yeah. Sosa is not exactly awe inspiring, but at least they have found perhaps guys that can lead the attack a little better than having players from deep. Being the you know, Jean Pierre was relied on a, quite a bit as well as the kind of number ten last season. So it's so rare to have that consistency as well. Yeah. like in South America to have a coach who's I think he's been there. Yeah, since 2016, and obviously fared really, really well in the Libertadores. And I just don't think you can ever underestimate that, just because it's such a rarity in South America to have that consistency. And, you know, Gremio will look at the draw and think if they can get past Guarani, then they face the winner of Liga de Quito against Santos. I mean, it's almost like if Gremio don't get to the semifinals, they'll be really disappointed, right? Maybe. Uh, Liga de Quito are a... that That's a a fun side to watch and quite a spanner in the works for anybody that tries to face them I think Liga de Quito can cause an upset on that side of the group somewhere yeah they were, they were good in the groups they're, they're always impressive they're obviously hey guess what this will be the first time we've mentioned altitude <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> but the altitude does help obviously um, yeah. in Quito but they <laughs> they do play with a lot of pace in the Libertadores they're a side that can stretch a game and if they can do that it makes life very difficult, particularly on home soil, to keep up with them, and it's always it's always a difficult place to say to go. I, I, they they were impressive in the group stage, and there's yeah they were without a doubt they really they, they can beat anybody on their day. I'd have thought. Do you think that do you think that top quarter mentioned it a little bit earlier on? But do you think that top quarter of the last sixteens kind of the quote unquote easiest passage? You know, the winner of Guarani, Gremio, faces the winner of Liga de Quito, Santos. There's no, you know, there's no Boca, River, Flamengo, uh, Palmeiras in there. I don't know. I think that's that's the semi-final spot that you'll think whoever gets there, they haven't snuck through, but it's I think it's open. I think Liga de Quito and Gremio are probably on a similar level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of for them, I don't think it's an easy path because I would imagine that they're going to have to square off in the next round anyway. Um, because Santos are a dismal side to watch. Really, yeah. uh, they're really a tough watch in terms of yeah, how they terrible. play football and um, 
uh, I mean, no fans anyway, of course, but they didn't have fans anyway before the pandemic because of the uh, <laughs> incidents, what, two years ago against sure. uh, Internacional and crowd trouble. And, um, and it was a weak group they came through as well. Yeah. Um, group G, wasn't it? And they... Um, in, a, in a really yeah, unimpressive state, uh, manner. To yeah, yeah, totally. To, I mean, you know, Delphine defence at Eustacea and Olympia, I mean, you know... It, it's a, it's a very weak group, but they're through. They're in the last sixteen, so who knows? Yeah, I, I look, Liga de Quito win that tie for me. I know we're <laughs> kind of. So I wanted to like say all of my predictions at the end, but I'm kind of just blurting them out <laughs> as we go here. Um, I would be very, I would be shocked if the Ecuadorians aren't in the next round. Sure. Okay. Uh, right, Delphine Palmeiras. This is the side. This is the other side that is a real spanner in the works for any of the big sides because of the easiness in theory of the draw obviously i'm not talking about delphin here um mm. uh, the easy route or easier route that they seem to have before they face any high caliber opposition in the libertadores and they're a they're a fun watch palmeras they're yep. they are in an intimidating attack like you look at their last two games in the libertadores 10 goals none conceded yeah like <laughs> we we kind of joked about you know things like you know Luis Adriano and uh you know two champion uh, Champions League hat-trick and a Libertadores hat-trick and um Ex- expand on that Ollie because it is I still think it's you know in a world of saturated football trivia where you very rarely hear anything I think that's a great stat yeah the uh, one of only three players to score a hat-trick in the Champions League and the Copa Libertadores Luis Adriano which is a yeah it's a phenomenal like it's a great one yeah um Neymar and I cannot remember for the life of me the other one. Yeah, I know. As soon as you said it, I was like, I'm going to be on the spot here of which was the third one, and I will. Uh, well, we we can open it. We can open it up to our vast array of listeners. On I would I would know. tell them to go and find the uh, the highlight show from week <laughs> two of the Copa Libertadores. That would be the place Group to find stage the answer. Week two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, after their their success over Guarani three um, one mm. for anybody that's interested. But yeah, they uh, they're. they're a really good attacking side defensively there are still problems um i know when i've spoken to pete and joel um about it they they always kind of say yeah but you look at like the age and quality of, of the defenses that they, they put out it's it's not great um they, they've either got older parts that in fairness now some of them have moved on um as this year's drawn on or they've got quite young relatively inexperienced defenders as well so it, it's whether they can maintain a high enough level of defensive quality but I think they will probably score goals in almost every single game they play I mean Ronnie's good Wesley uh, Willian uh, Luis Adriano what did they get like 16 or 17 goals I think of the group stages maybe only River outscored them something like that so as you say like they're they're really fun going forwards won it once way back in well it feels like a long time ago now 1999 Um, yeah and they played Delphine I mean it qualified with seven points from Group G, which isn't a great tally, but I know they're a relatively new club, about 30 years old, won the Ecuadorian title in 2019. Yeah, bit of a free hit for Delphine. Yeah, nobody's expecting anything from them. The fact they got out of the group, I think, was the, the impressive thing almost for them because I think after last season and because it's... um And they had an Argentinian opposition in as well, I think Olympia or Defensor Justicia were probably expected to be better, at least on paper, going into the group stage. I think Santos was probably always going to be a guaranteed side to go through from that group. So for Delphin to have been able to claw their way through, I think they probably benefited not to... It's a loose 
kind of claim, but benefited from COVID-19, if you know what I mean, because of not having fans in grounds and things like that. They finished with their last two victories, Delph. one on the road against Olympia, uh, one against Defensory Justicia at home. Um, Delphine and Jeff Bezos, the two great winners <laughs> of the global <laughs> pandemic. Then, awesome. I think when we look back at history, people will highlight that <laughs> in the annuals of history. Do you think Delphine Football Club and Jeff Bezos have ever been said in a podcast in the same sentence? And I know there's a lot of podcasts out there in the world, but I'm willing to put an awful lot of pesos on the fact that they have not been mentioned in the same sentence. Unless it was the Amazon Complaints podcast in which somebody was complaining that there wasn't enough Delphin merchandise on Amazon and Jeff Bezos needed to rectify that personally. But aside from that, yeah, probably not. Or there will be like a podcast, a specific Delphine podcast in Ecuador, right? Like a fans podcast. And someone there would have said something about, oh, can't wait for Delphine's game this weekend. Oh, it's so annoying. My Amazon order hasn't arrived. (laughs) That Jeff Bezos is really annoying, right? And we thought our podcast went down tangents. That is very (laughs) loose. If it's in the same sentence as well, to be like, (laughs) God, I really hope they win, but I also hope that Bezos sorts out my Amazon order. Those are the two juxtapositions I've got in my life right now. Let's carry on with the podcast. Although, to, to be honest, like there's no Amazon in Argentina, is there? No. Or no. Brazil, or maybe South America. I might be showing myself up here, but I'm not sure. I don't think that Amazon d- d- deliver to South America, which if you're of a kind of a US or European persuasion, you might find that astonishing. Um, but okay, alas, we've gone down a, quite an almighty rabbit hole there. So Delphine Palmeiras, I mean, you'd be crazy not to back Palmeiras to make it through to the quarterfinals. And they will face the winner of Libertad and Jorge Wilsterman. And yeah, I mean, you alluded to it, Ollie, that Palmeiras will really be looking at the semifinals based on that. Jorge Wilsterman topped a very, very tight Group C and Libertad's... Uh, sort of snuck through in Group H. Actually, it was a real late goal that saw them go through on goal difference, but their mid-table in Paraguay, bit of a toss of a coin, that. Yeah, Libertad, uh, like, to me, probably the most disappointing side out of Paraguay. You know, we we cooed about Olympia last year. Nacional, mm. I think, are kind of the more impressive of those three. And then Libertad are kind of the side bringing up the rear slightly in terms of enjoyment of viewability in terms of their football and level of expectation around them. I think personally from what I've seen anyway, and I could be way off what the Paraguayan papers are saying at the moment because I've not checked them in a while. Um, (laughs) So this is, to me, a bit of a coin flip because the the Bolivians can win based again on altitude and cause problems uh, in their home games. And um, Jorge Wilson will have a chance. And I think it's great to see a Bolivian side go a little bit further than the group stage and perhaps the first round of the knockout stages because it's a league that is falling behind on the continent. Yeah, and I think like we're total neutrals in this competition, right, Oli? So for us, anyone outside the big Brazilian and Argentine sides is interesting, isn't it? And I know like last year we were kind of maybe rooting a little bit for the Paraguayan sides, and I love seeing a Uruguayan side there. So yeah, I I think it can only be for the good of the competition if if you can get like a Jorge Wilstermann or maybe Liga de Quito get through to the last four or beyond. Uh, But nonetheless, I mean, when that draw came out, Palmeiras who would have already backed themselves after playing really well in the group stages and scoring an awful lot of goals, they'll look at that and think, wow, like we're potentially going to line up a semi-final clash against a, a weakened Riverside, albeit a Riverside under Gachado, mm. or an Independiente del Valle side that perhaps have lost a little bit of their sparkle from 2019. So if you're Palmeiras, 
like that draw could not have gone much better. No, it's it's kind of ideal. Um, yeah, they'll as I say, they'll be licking their lips at potential quarterfinal, semi-final, and and beyond. Cool, call it then, Ollie. The quarterfinals. All right, let's run through them. Um, Gremio to beat Guarani, Liga de Quito to beat Santos, so that'll be their quarterfinal matchup. Boca to beat Inter handily. And then the competition decider will be set because Flamengo will beat Racing handily. Uh, IDV to squeeze past Nacional. It's not going to be pretty, that, for IDV fans, but they will get past Nacional. Um, to take on River, in who will get past Atletico Paranaense. Palmeiras will take on... I'm going to go with the Bolivians. I'm going to back Jorge Wilstermann. Purely on the, nice. the coin flip. And it might be against the grain slightly as well. So let's go with that. I'm going to go Guarani to oust Gremio. Just because I, I kind of like their story. They're a lot of fun. And then them to face Liga de Quito, who put out Santos. And then I'm pretty much going to follow your pattern. I think Boca and Flamengo will both go through their ties to set up a really interesting quarterfinal. IDV to scrape through. River to do what they have to uh, to get into the last day. And then Palmeiras, Barra, a massive upset. We'll also go through, and then I'm going to say Libertad into the last eight. So that, that pretty much rounds it up. I mean, it's on paper, it's, there's some cracking ties in there. It should be a really, really good uh, good two legs. Yeah, yeah. There, there is enough to keep you watching every single night of uh, next week when the first legs uh, get going on Tuesday, late night UK time. Just want to ask Windsor, mm. is your pick to win it changed? At all, because you know this is like a nice Who do... post group stage. This is a chance to reassess. Okay, you, I'd also you lambasted we... me for Boca. So it, it was March the first, Ollie. The sun was shining. We were having beers with Golasso, uh, Peter Coates. The dream. And I can't, I can't. It was indeed. I can't remember who I backed though. Did I say River? I'm. I think you I'd said River. I have to River. listen back to the pod. I th- I think I did. Um, I think you were still just in so swept up in the Gachado love affair that hasn't dwindled too much. It's still there. But, you know, I, w- I was wondering if you'd taken a step back from the continent now for this long and maybe looked at Gachado and kind of reassessed things slightly. I- I'm going to stick with River. Um, yeah, I'm going to stick with River to win it. And you're going to stick with Boca to win it. Yeah. I'm so okay. tempted by Palmeiras, though. Really? I really. I think I agree. But I also think I also think Flamengo... Like it's only the turbulence of the year and the managerial changes that have kind of brought everyone else back into contention, right? Like player for player, mm-hmm. they're still easily the best squad and best first eleven on the continent. So if the new boss can, and he's got not much time, we're late November now and the finals late January, you know. So what's that? Eight weeks to the final. Yeah. Um. So it's not that much time, but if he could just pattern together a little bit of consistency, get the same eleven as Georgia Jesus had, or more or less the same eleven, then I think. Like it, it still could be Flamengo's to lose, but um, yeah, I'm gonna see what we're Big thanks for listening to the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. You can follow myself, Ollie Wilson, at O underscore J underscore Wilson on Twitter. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson on twitter you can find david windsor also on twitter at david t windsor that's at david t windsor and remember to get onto anchor.fm our host uh, spotify google podcasts itunes all of those good places where you get your podcasts like subscribe follow the show all that good stuff and we'll be back next week after the first rounds or the first legs i should say from the round of 16 from the copper libertadores Ooh.